and you can find all the links to all these organizations on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash weeklyrev. I think it's time for some more music. Here's another song that was performed, and it's kind of angry, but also has a nice uh, beat to it. So play this music, and then we'll be back with some more stories, some positive and some... Mm, we'll, we'll, we'll find ways to, to make it positive. Yeah, my name is John Neffel, and I am an independent journalist based in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, I'm the I'm the co-host of a daily podcast called Radio Dispatch, and I've got a new story in the Village Voice. Awesome. So, uh, for folks who haven't read the the story yet, um, perhaps we can uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so it's a, a feature length profile of two leftist activists uh, from New York, and uh, I followed them for several months as they prepared to smuggle themselves into northern Syria to join a Kurdish militia that's known as the YPG, which stands for the People's Protection Unit. Very cool. Wow. So how did you um, first get involved with them? Yeah, it's, it's funny. Uh, the story really begins back in late 2011. Uh, I was covering an action um, put on by Occupy Wall Street yes. uh, in December of uh, 2011, and uh, I was arrested, um, even though I was a journalist, not an activist, I was arrested uh, with 16 other people. And one of them was uh, a young, uh, young activist named Guy Stewart, um, and he and I ended up spending uh, 37 hours in jail together uh, as a result of the arrest. So you know, we had a lot of time to talk, yeah. and uh, we basically stayed in touch uh, over the years since then. And um, in January of this year, he sent me a. A Facebook message and said, I'm doing something that you might be interested in. So uh, basically from then on, he and I were in almost constant contact. Awesome. Very cool. Um, great. So, yeah, so I guess we can uh, talk more. I mean, we can maybe go back a little bit to Occupy. I remember because I left New York uh, in 2011 in the summertime, shortly before that happened. I remember following it, and I was in St. Louis in the fall. So I was uh, remember when that was happening there. And I do remember following online and seeing even the, the photo of you with holding your glasses. Yeah, yeah, that one uh, that one was uh, shared pretty widely online, and it was it was strange to find myself being the subject of uh, of a what just is objectively a kind of iconic looking photograph. It was a very strange phenomenon. Yes. Yeah, and something similar um, here in San Francisco. There's been there was a lot of pressure to have the police chief fired, and thankfully he has resigned. Um, and a, f- a few months ago, folks took to city hall, and of course the police ended up harassing and uh, assaulting quite a few people, um, including journalists. So I think for for some folks who were not quite uh, were a bit surprised that that would happen, but that seems, seems to been have happening for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, I I really think that that at the at the local level, at the level of of mayors and police chiefs, um, there's been a, a serious lack of attention paid to First Amendment protections for for press, for activists, 
um, for assembly rights. Um, and yeah, I mean, I really think that, that one of the lesser told stories over the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years is, uh, is like a real just complete lack of respect for uh, freedom of the press by, yes. by mayors and police chiefs really across the country. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, have you, um, encountered any more like violence um in in your fields uh, since the occupy movement uh well i was arrested a second time um also as a journalist uh on the one-year anniversary of occupy uh but since then there was there was a, a year where i had an official nypd um press credential which i resisted getting for a long time because I don't think that the police of any city should be the people conferring the status of journalist or not journalist. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, it seems to me a little bit like the um, the fox watching the hen house, as they say. Um, but after the second arrest, I kind of was just like, this is, I can't keep doing my job. Uh, I keep getting kidnapped by the state. Yeah. So... <laughs> So uh, I applied for uh, credentials, and then they expired. And honestly, since then, I've, I've been doing less reporting on sort of demonstrations and marches and more um, stuff around uh, Guantanamo and, and refugees and things like that. So I haven't personally seen a lot of that, though I know, obviously, it, like in, in Ferguson, for instance, yeah. um, a close friend of mine um, got shot by the police with rubber bullets as he was approaching them with his hands up. Uh, and he's a he's a white guy, so you know that they were trigger happy if they were doing that. And he was saying, Press. "Yes." So, yeah. you know, that's just like one one of many many examples of uh, of, of recent uh, literal attacks on on press. Oh, oh, oh. So, um, so speaking of uh, I guess Guantanamo, what's happening there, if anything at all? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So I was actually just there um, to get a media tour um, uh, earlier this month, just about a week and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, they call it a media tour. In reality, it's about a one-day, um, highly choreographed, um, you know, very tightly controlled walkthrough of some of the facilities. Um and everyone really stays on their talking points. It's it's a it's a, a, a kind of media tour in name only. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, nonetheless, it was interesting. It was my fifth time there, um, but my first time taking a tour of the, the facilities. And really, I think the big the the big story with Guantanamo is that we can expect um, a, a probably two dozen transfers, give or take, in the next month and a half. Oh wow. Okay. Um, and then after that, my strong suspicion is that transfers are going to almost totally flatline. And I think that by the end of Obama's term, there's going to be somewhere between 30 and 40 people who are still going to be held at Guantanamo. Oh, and there's really, um, I think, very little reason to think that they will either be transferred to the U.S. Um, for for continued imprisonment or whether any of those people will be detained. And I think that basically um, Obama is going to pass on a very, very small uh, population of detainees to mm. the next administration. Oh, I, I mean, I'm not surprised. It just still feels disheartening to, to hear that. Um, it's also... Yeah. 
good just to get some information from like from from the inside or from as close as possible. Yeah, well, one of the things that was that was really um, troubling about about the media visit is that um, various officials, basically the top commander uh, on the on the base, and then the the person who's below him, who's essentially the prison warden, um, both said that for right now there's. This is according to them, so take it with a grain of salt. But yeah. they said that there's a great amount of um, optimism amongst the population of detainees or prisoners, if you like, um, yeah. because there have been so many, uh, relatively speaking, a lot of transfers lately. And so um, I think that there is, at least according to them, there's there's optimism that people you know think they're going to get out. Many of them have been held for. 12, 13, 14 years at this point um, without charge. And but where the troubling part comes in is what I was saying before, is that even when you talk to commanders and, and um, the, you know, the warden on, on the base, they say that, that once those transfers happen and then everything starts to slow down, you're going to very understandably get a population there that is very, very angry yeah. and in- increasingly desperate and increasingly hopeless. Especially given the fact that um, obviously Donald Trump is not saying he wants to close Guantanamo, quite the opposite. <sighs> and Hillary Clinton is, has been very, very quiet on the topic. Of course. Um, to be honest, I would not at all be surprised if she becomes president. I could see her at some point, given you know, given some sort of national emergency, I could see her increasing the population. There. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think that there's going to be a lot of, of real uh, despair among people who are there if and when they're there by the time Obama leaves office. Ugh. Oh. That, ugh. That's, ugh. I mean, that's my reaction to a lot of things. Uh, so yeah. it, it's that's, just... that's, what, that's the reaction I get when I talk to a lot of people about a lot of my stories. Yeah, yeah. It's. I, I think like hopeless definitely is something that comes up when one thinks about all, a lot of different things that have been happening in the country and in, in the world for a long time. And I feel like there's a lot of folks who do want to help and do recognize that the system is messed up and things are really backwards. And then it's very easy to feel powerless. Um, which is, I think, part of the reason like journalism is so important and so necessary is to at least let folks understand what's happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think that's right. I think that that um, getting information out there is necessary uh, for social good, even if it's not in itself sufficient. You know, I I sort of think of uh, journalists, uh, at least the kind of journalists that I that I uh, <laughs> like and aspire to be. I think of them as part of a kind of complex ecosystem where you have journalists and you have lawyers and you have human rights investigators and you have activists and you have just a sort of uh, people who are all basically working towards greater levels of human rights and human dignity, but all doing it in kind of separate but related ways. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, that journalism is, you know, at its best at least, is one key part of that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I mean, one one highlight, I guess, of the internet age is that folks feel like they're able to at least 
um, put out their their words, like for instance, on social media, like with the elections being rigged and folks reporting that their votes haven't been counted, uh, something even even like that, people feeling like they have a voice and they are able to share what's happening with them, where as a, you know opposed to like decades ago, that might not have been the case. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, for as for as toxic as the internet can be in so many instances, there's, <laughs> yes. there's also, you know, there is there are the occasional moments, um, sometimes more than occasional moments, where there really is, uh, you, you know, you can tell that the, the publishing paradigm has shifted such that that you know traditional gatekeepers. Uh, to to media platforms don't play exactly the same outsized role that they used to. Uh, obviously, who gets to go on TV is still very very important and very closed off to the vast majority of of people. Yeah. Um, but at the very least, you know, you have platforms where people can put out uh, information and and at least get it out to the world in a way that you know even like ten years ago would have been very very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's a good thing for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so maybe we can uh, just talk more about the so the story that you'd written for the for the Village Voice. Um, so for folks who are heading, uh, getting back that way. So like for folks who are heading to Syria in order to help fight uh, for the people. Um, yeah. Well, so so what's really interesting about about the two two people that I profiled um, is is that uh, they they are entering probably the most complicated conflict in the world right now and to understand what they're doing it's, it's probably worth just um, I'll, I'll try to lay out some of the, the regional some of the, the regional um, political dynamics cool. just so people have a, a sort of sense of who the who the actors here are in this because it's it's very difficult to keep all of it straight. So basically, the the, the group that these two are going to support, um, sort of roughly speaking, is called the YPG, as I said, and it's a, a Kurdish militia that uh, arose in, um, really came to prominence in, in 2012, 2011-2012, uh, out of the chaos of the civil war in Syria. And the Kurds are, for people who aren't familiar, are at least, they refer to themselves as the largest um, ethnicity on the planet without a state. Mm. You basically have about 30 million Kurds, roughly, the estimates aren't exactly correct, aren't exactly precise, but roughly 30 Mm. million Kurds spread out over four countries. Um, You have Syria, Iraq, Iran, and then the majority uh, of whom who are in Turkey, especially Southeast Turkey. And so, as the uh, as the Arab Spring uh, or Arab Revolutions sweep the the region from from Tunisia to Egypt, and um, and uh, young activists, especially in in Syria, are inspired and take to the streets to protest against the government uh, that's run by uh, the dictator Bashar al-Assad. Uh, the the revolution there um, quickly uh, descends into chaos as Assad, you know, opens fire on his own people. And essentially, what begins to happen is that out of the chaos that ensues as the revolution becomes militarized, um, Kurds in the north are able to establish an autonomous zone for themselves, which mm-hmm. they have long been denied 
by the Syrian regime. Mm-hmm. And so as, as the regime focuses more on anti-government rebels, it sort of uh, takes a lot of its troops away from the Kurds in the north and basically just says, okay, the, the, the Kurds can have this area in the north. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to focus on, on uh, uh, the enemies who are trying to oust us. And so okay. this, area, this area in the north is called Rojava, which is the Kurdish word for west. So this is West Kurdistan. Um, if you think of the, those four countries that I named before, this is, this is a sort of western version of where a hypothetical Kurdish state would be. Okay. So the, the revolution in Rojava is very much um, built on a foundation of uh, anarchist thinking. Ah. Um, the, the ideological head, essentially, of the political party there um, has been in prison um, since 1999, but his political theories, the guy's name is uh, Abdullah Oshawan, his political theories are... Um, based very heavily on a theorist named Murray Bookchin, and essentially what it says is that um, it's, it's anti-capitalist, it's very um, pro-feminist, and uh, it's based on a kind of uh, post-state um, idea of, of local organizing, uh, and that, that uh, it's, it's, it's about keeping power localized yeah. in neighborhoods and not centralized yeah. in, a, in a state. Awesome. And so it's, it's, you can tell why, it, why this revolution would be a, a sort of natural ideological um, fit for anarchists uh, the world over, including in America. Yeah. Now, it's, it, what's interesting is that there have already been roughly between 100 and 150 Americans who have joined, who have gone to either Syria or Iraq to um, to fight against ISIS and to join the Kurds. What's interesting about um, every American who has gone so far, at least every reported American who has gone so far, mm-hmm. is that they're much more likely to be conservative. They're much more likely to be um, military veterans. Uh, they're much more likely to be motivated by Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so you have this group of primarily ex-military um, conservatives who go over and join this anarchist militia. Huh. And and they get there, these Americans get there, and they're completely surprised. They have yeah. no idea what they're doing. They, you know, there's a quote where one of them um, says, the YPG are a bunch of commies. And he says it's in a very disparaging way. Uh-huh. So, so you have this kind of um, strange situation where Americans um, want to get back to the battle, so to speak. Uh, they want to fight ISIS, but the available options to them, in Syria at least, is this left-wing feminist group. <laughs> um, and it largely doesn't fit with, with most of the Americans' political ideology there. What's different about, about the two... Um, uh, young young activists that I talked to, Guy and the other one, his name is Christo, mm-hmm. is that the ideology was the draw for them. Yes. You know, they, they specifically wanted to go to help their anarchist comrades. Yeah. And that really sets them apart from the other Americans. Now, there have been a small number of uh, European anarchists who have gone 
Um, but large, large it, for really for the most part, the numbers have remained fairly low in terms of of leftists going to uh, to join up. Mm-hmm. And it's also important to note that that uh, Guy and Christo, um both did not plan on actually becoming soldiers. Mm-hmm. So they were both um, going to going there to create pro-Kurdish media, what they sort of referred oh. to in a, t- in a tongue-in-cheek way as propaganda. I see. So, so they were interested in like documenting daily life, showing the struggles mm-hmm. of the revolution, the successes of the revolution. Neither of them were going there to quote-unquote fight ISIS. Got it. I think also separates them from the other Americans who were very explicitly going there to um, you know, to, to try to shoot ISIS militants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it'll be interesting. I'm very curious to to hear and to see what it's like for those for the folks who went in with just that kind of strict military ideology um, to see if they end up maybe accepting or seeing the the bright side um, of the leftist ideology. Yeah, it's it's a really really interesting question, um, and I think that one of the things that Westerners. Um, have to do when they when they cross the border from you, basically the border from Turkey is closed now, so everyone who's crossing over is crossing from Iraq to Syria. But when they cross over, they have to spend the first um, at least two weeks in what the Kurds refer to as uh, ideological training. Huh. So you learn essentially the the basics of the system of beliefs that that they call democratic confederalism, and it's it's. Again, it's very feminist. It's very communalist. Um, uh, it's it's private property is very limited. You know, meals are done together, living is done together, um, and so I'm not exactly sure how many sort of like ideological converts there have been. Yeah. Um, but it's a really interesting question uh, as as far as like uh, whether whether people who have gone there have sort of. Um, you know, maybe came from a more conservative capitalist mindset, and that were uh, were were won over once they, uh, you know, were sort of in in the revolution. I'm not sure what the answer is to that. Yeah, yeah, I'd be very, I'd be very curious. And I'd also just wonder how other folks could help contribute, like certainly not necessarily in a military sense, but like, as you're mentioning, Guy and Hristo were more on the media side, how other folks could also join to um, help the cause. Yeah, I mean, one of the things certainly that that I think um, you hear from from groups that are um, sort of like outward facing, uh, especially to the West, is that uh, after this many years of war and and previous decades, really of basically abandonment from the the Assad regime, uh, a lot of the area, um, you know, still needs to have infrastructure built up. Um, there are areas where uh, industry is, is, you know, um, could be built up. Uh, obviously, you need doctors and engineers and all things like sorts of things like that in a in a revolution. But I think even more so than anything else, at least the people that I spoke to wanted wanted information to to get out as much as anything else. And they, you know, Kurds Kurds have been um, have been oppressed. Uh, and and um, and rendered stateless for at least since the since the first world war, mm. um, and I think that in a large part what they're fighting for is visibility and autonomy, and you know it's not 
it's not entirely clear what what Westerners can sort of do to to promote that exactly. But I think that part of it, at least, is is raising um, raising the profile of the project that they uh, that they are engaged in. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm really curious to to see what happens. Yeah. Well, and so um, you know, to give this sort of uh, to give a spoiler for the for the story. Yeah. Um, essentially, one of the uh, one of the two that I uh, profile, um, like they both they both travel to northern Iraq um, to Iraqi Kurdistan, uh, a city called Sulaimania, and um, there they they uh, get in touch with their contact who's in Syria, but um, they are. Uh, unable to cross the border for weeks, and so they stay at this hotel with other Westerners who are trying to cross over, and then they are taken to the safe house temporarily. And uh, their visa is starting to run out. And one of the things that's really important to understand about both of these two is that although they are um, both very ideologically motivated, they're also motivated by more practical concerns, namely that Guy. Uh, has wanted to be a conflict photojournalist for his entire life, mm-hmm. and that Christo wants to build his resume um, to make it more uh, attractive to graduate schools. And so, while they're in Sulaimania in northern Iraq, um, Christo gets uh, the worst fever of his life that puts him down for five days. And then, shortly after that, as he's uh, regaining his health, he learns from his parents. That he's been accepted into grad school, ah. and so so this happens as their visa is running out, and uh, and as four Westerners who try to cross over get arrested uh, at the border, and so from so Christo is thinking to himself, you know, if I defer my acceptance, there's no guarantee that I'll ever make it to Rojava. I could lose my spot in grad school. This makes no sense. So he returns home. And uh, he feels very uh, conflicted about it, very dispirited. You know, he's been planning this for a year, and he feels like it's a, a year of planning down the drain. And a couple of days later, right before the visa comes up, a uh, guy is able to cross over. And he goes through training, and um, I've spoken to him a couple times uh, in the last few days, and he is still um, happy that he's there. Uh, he's... Uh, you know, engage. He's just about to launch the photo blog, um, which is called Scenes from Rojava. And um, you know, I think that it's it's certainly not a walk in the park. But I think that he is uh, he's still happy that he uh, that he went, and he'll probably be there for for several more months at least. Wow, that's great. That's really wow. Huh. So, um, so yeah, hopefully we can, uh, still keep in touch and hear about their, what's, what's happening over there. And I'm curious as to, as they do work on the media, um, the information that will be made available to us. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be really interesting to see how, uh, his time there changes guy in terms of, uh, his outlook, um, you know, his experience there, uh, Obviously, he right now is not uh, involved in any uh, direct combat. He's not. He's he's not really at any 
at least for now, um, threat of bodily harm. Yeah. Uh, you know, hopefully that remains the case, obviously, for as long as he's there. But um, it, it remains in a, a conflict zone, obviously. It's a, it's a civil war that's displaced 12 million people, yeah. uh, 8 million internally and 4 million who have fled the country. And so, um, you know, over the course of his time there, I think it's going to be really interesting to see uh, the effect that it has on him politically and personally. And that's something that I'm definitely going to follow up on. And I'd love to uh, come back on and talk more about yeah please do i think it's also just really inspiring like when i saw the the article i was just like oh like first of all the words anarcho communist like that's always nice to see um and then also just because i I know there's so many people who have a similar ideology and then especially here in the states when there's been the suppression that's happened for so long um to see folks enacting it and to to collaborate there's that I guess that hope, which maybe I'm, I'm a cynic, but I'm also really hopeful and optimistic yeah. and naive in some ways, um, yeah. where I'd be like, wow, how about that happening here? And granted, like the, the United States has a whole other, we have a whole other history, a whole other things. I can't even really describe it, you know, succinctly, but to ha- to have that kind of happen here would be incredible. Yeah. Well, and I think at least to, to me, what was, what was really interesting about this, especially from a, from a journalist uh, point of view, is that um, there are the, the left in the United States, uh, and and if you sort of broaden it out, you know, vaguely liberals more more generally, I think that um, that we can often get uh, stuck in a lot of tired conversations. That oh yeah, feel like we've been <laughs> having them for decades, even before any of us were born. Yep. And and what's what's interesting to me about this story is that it's a way of talking about uh, about enacting leftist ideas uh, in a way that is that is completely different than a lot of the standard discussions that we have here. And I'm I'm certainly not endorsing uh, that anyone else do what Guy and Risto did. Um, certainly not without weighing the cons of it very very. Uh, carefully, because sure. although what they did is is not illegal under U.S. law, you know uh, what I write in the story is that a creative prosecutor could probably find a charge if they wanted to. Ugh. So I, I, I certainly wouldn't, um, and and I'm not endorsing, you know, the fact like the idea that people uh, follow in the footsteps of these two. But um, I felt very lucky that I was able to shadow them. Yeah, while they were getting ready to do this because it was a way to talk about these ideas in a way that went beyond the sort of, you know, like, is property destruction violence, which is an important conversation, but one that I just feel, like, exhausted by most of the time. Yes. Yeah, I hear that. I feel there's so much uh, infighting within communities that it's like, if we're going to fight amongst ourselves, how are we supposed to come together like if we can't even all, you know, find consensus? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, um, yeah. If there's anything else you'd like to add, please feel free. Uh, I guess just if uh, if anyone wants uh, to hear any more about this, um, we spent uh, a recent uh, show talking about it on my podcast, uh, which is called Radio Dispatch, and um, we talk regularly about uh, about my Guantanamo reporting and also about Molly's reporting. My sister and yeah, uh, Molly uh, often writes on. Uh, education policy and um, and feminism and uh, all sorts of things that uh, 
that your listeners, I think, would be interested in. And, uh, you know, if people want more information, they should come uh, come jump over uh, and take a listen to Radio Dispatch every once in a while. Excellent. Cool. Well, we'll um, post links uh, on, the, on our weekly review page. Awesome. Sweet. Well, thank you so much for calling in. It's also really good to hear your voice. It's been a while. Yeah, you too. I know. It's been way too long. Sweet. Well, um, take care and keep up the good work and hope to chat with you soon and give, give Molly my regards. I will. You keep up the good work, too. Oh, thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye. The 2016 primary season is exposing a crisis of democracy in America, the prevalence of voter suppression from voters forced to stand in line for five hours in Arizona to over 100,000 voters purged from the rolls in New York is inexcusable. Meanwhile, in North Carolina, a federal judge has upheld new voting restrictions, including a voter ID law that will disproportionately block poor and minority voters from the polls. It's no secret that reducing voter turnout benefits the political establishment. It's time to bring real democracy to America by eliminating unfair barriers to voting and ensuring every vote counts. Join my call to establish a constitutional right to vote today. It may surprise you that the U.S. Constitution does not explicitly guarantee our right to vote. That's why establishing an explicit constitutional right to vote is critical to overcoming voter suppression. Across the country, we see people who do everything they're supposed to, yet their votes are not counted due to the negligence of election officials. All too often, these disenfranchised voters are disappeared from official election results with no legal recourse. An explicit constitutional right to vote would empower Americans to challenge systemic voter suppression and restore the integrity of our elections. If you're concerned about the wave of voter suppression, add your voice to the call to establish a constitutional right to vote. Voter suppression issues in state after state are symptomatic of an electoral system designed to prop up the establishment political parties. We see the same pattern everywhere that partisan appointees control the electoral process, the establishment gains power and the voters lose power. It's time to take control of elections away from the parties and put them in the hands of the people through independent citizen boards in charge of everything from voter registration to redistricting. It's also past time to discard the obsolete uh, first-past-the-post voting system and adopt improved voting systems already used successfully around the world. The current voting system has most voters feeling trapped between two parties that are growing more and more out of touch with the American people. With polls showing record unpopularity, <laughs> uh, with polls showing record unpopularity for the Democratic and Republican frontrunners, we're facing the repugnant prospect of a general election where more votes are voting against what they fear than are voting for what they believe in. We can solve the lesser evil dilemma in a heartbeat by anarchy. No, I shouldn't say that. We can solve the lesser evil dilemma in a heartbeat by enacting ranked choice voting, which ensures that if your first choice doesn't win, your vote is automatically reassigned to your second choice, freeing voters to support the candidates they most agree with. And to bring real democracy to the United States, we need proportional representation, which gives you the freedom to vote for the representation you want, knowing that it's what you'll get. Countries with proportional representation, which includes most Western democracies, have significantly higher voter turnout because people are more likely to participate in democracy when they know their voice will be represented, even when they're in the minority. 
All of these reforms, proportional representation, ranked choice voting, independent election boards, and more, would move America closer to real democracy and help break the grip of the elite special interests who have hijacked our government. But it all starts with fighting back against voter suppression, and the best way to do that is with an explicit constitutional right to vote. Sign and share my call for a constitutional right to vote today. By standing together in our fundamental right to vote, we can build an unstoppable movement for an America and a world that works for all of us. It's in our hands! Jill Stein. Uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, if you go to... I haven't posted this yet. I'm going to post it right now. Um, you can sign. I signed. Uh, that's one one way to help. I, I'm definitely skeptical. I'm not going to lie. I'm skeptical of the whole voting thing, even if... I mean, even the fact that like Jill is on the ballot, the idea that folks on the third party don't have as much uh, say in the media. Even Bernie Sanders, who's like running in, on the D Democratic Party. Oh, that's another story we'll get to. So I'm not a member of any of the Bernie groups. A lot of my friends are. I like my Facebook feed for the most part. It's like Bernie, 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 Bernie. So some Hillary, there's definitely some Hillary supporters there. There's some Jill Stein supporters. And then there's like anarchists who are like, fuck the whole system. And I'm like, cool. Um, but there are Bernie Sanders groups that Facebook decided to like, uh, cancel or just like get rid of and apparently it's from the Hillary like pack like hired people to spam these groups with pornography and friends of mine have reported this so this comes like first-hand information first-hand second-hand information but people I know and trust have said that they received like people were spamming these groups with porn and so then people would report them to the Facebook uh, and so Facebook had to take down these groups. And so like hundreds of thousands of organizers and Bernie supporters were then had their, uh, their communication restricted on Facebook. And that's pretty gross. That's really, really gross. Um, so with that being said, I'll, I'll add the Jill Stein thing in a bit when I can multitask. I can multitask, but I feel if I add it right now, I'm not going to be giving the, the show my full attention. So you can also just check out, uh, you can, where can you check it out? Uh, you can go to, what's the official, the official place to find Jill Stein? I would guess Green Party. I guess you type in Jill Stein, um, Jill 2016. Um, yes, Jill2016.com. There we go. Problem solved. Till2016.com. Uh, Jill Stein for president. Uh, a new society. A new economy. Hashtag, it's in our hands. And uh, she also is inviting Sanders to cooperate on political revolution and real democracy, which is pretty badass. A lot of the times, the, the folks are running against each other, and there's a lot of, like, people are attacking one another. And it's like, if everyone really wanted a better world, it'd be like, let's all learn how to work together and, you know, share our resources. And instead, it's a lot of people just fighting with one another and that's gross and childlike and dumb and very regressive and reductive and ugh, it's like I don't want any of that so I it would be great if, if Bernie were to hop on board with Jill Stein and if they could collaborate and share their resources and share their followers because they stand for a lot of the same things 
Um, so I'll read a little bit from her page since I'm at her page. Why not? Americans deserve real solutions for the economic, social, and environmental crises we face. But the broken political system is only making things worse. It's time to build a people's movement to end unemployment and poverty, avert climate catastrophe, build a sustainable, just economy, and recognize the dignity and human rights of every person. The power to create this new world is not in our hopes. It's not in our dreams. It's in our hands. Um, support Jill Stein's people-powered campaign. You can donate if you, if you want to, and if you're able to. Join with thousands of your neighbors to build the momentum for real change. Support Jill Stein's people-powered campaign today. Anything you give will be matched dollar for dollar by federal matching funds. Let's read about why she's running, uh, why Jill is running for president with the Green Party. Oh, it's pretty much what I just read. Uh, we are being battered by unemployment inequality. Da, 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 da. Yep, that's exactly it. So that's that's your platform, and uh, hard to find fault in that. And I can find fault in a lot of things. <laughs> I'm a bit of a cynic. I'm an optimist and a cynic. So that's great. So Target, I'm not into businesses, big corporations at all. However, when they stand up for good things, I, I think that's great. I'm not encouraging anyone to go to Target or to give them any more money. However, they have said that they are going to make sure that all trans folks have access to bathrooms, which would be a common sense thing. However, since they've said this, um, people are like gonna boycott Target now, and it's, ugh, it's so d people are so dumb, 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 dumb. Um, so this is from All Out, which is an LGBTQ uh, organization. And I'll read a little bit about this. It's just dumb stuff. I, don't, I almost don't want to give them any airtime because I don't even want to talk about them. Um, but I appreciate it when businesses, even though I don't like big businesses, I don't like big corporations when they do the right thing, which is common sense. So I'm not even gonna read it. So you know that's. Uh, and I would imagine most listeners of the show um, are not uh, going to go out and be overtly transphobic and in the face, you know, be like, that, that would not make sense to me. Although, stranger things have happened, but uh, there we go. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, okay, first of all, there's two things to know about this. Uh, I'm on, okay, back in the day, back in the early 2000s, I've repressed a lot of this from the years 2000 to 2008. It might have been because there were some people in the White House and people pulling the strings in the White House that made things terrible, so part of me wants to forget that existed, and I remember I wrote a letter to him, the ding-dong, W, that was like, don't, this is before they went to war, and there's like a lot of folks who were like, don't go to war, don't go to war, don't go to war, and I got a letter back that was like, oh, we have to protect the Iraqi people. And I was like, shut the fuck up. Anyway, so the World Can't Wait was one of these organ political organizations that was like very much against all that stuff happening. And I guess I haven't changed my name because the, the email is addressed to my old name and my old email address, which I still get. Uh, so that's disturbing in some regards. Um, but then they're saying that Bernie Sanders told MSNBC's Chris Hayes that he supports Obama sending 250 more troops into Syria. Um, do you think what's being done now is constitutional and legal, Hayes asked Sanders, noting the existence of a list of people that the U.S. government wants to kill. In general, I do. Yes, Sanders replied. In three months, both the ruling class parties will convene to pick the next commander-in-chief. They're making preparations to sell wars of aggression, continued vast surveillance of whole populations, the whole catastrophe of empire. These unjust, immoral, illegitimate wars need to be opposed, especially when the eyes of the world are concentrated on these conventions. If you want to be involved in protests at the Republican convention in Cleveland, July 15th through the 18th, or the Democrats convention in Philadelphia, July 25th to 28th, contact us. And they have a way you can contact them. Again, this is from uh, the world can't wait! Exclamation point. Stop the crimes of your government. 
hidden costs of the U.S. air war in Syria. There are near total silence. There is near total silence when U.S. bombs kill civilians in Iraq or Syria. Uh, Nicholas J. S. Davies, author of Blood on Our Hands: The American Invasion and Destruction of Iraq, writes on the outrage continuing in Syria as the U.S. increases troops there. At the very least, U.S. airstrikes have killed hundreds of civilians in Mosul, as well as destroying much of the civilian infrastructure that people depend on for their lives in already dire conditions. And yet, this is, by all accounts, the only only the beginning of the U.S.-Iraqi campaign to retake Mosul. USA Today reported on April 19th that U.S. Air Forces bombing Syria and Iraq have been operating under new, looser rules of engagement since last fall. The war commander, Lieutenant General Sean McFarland, now orders airstrikes that are expected to kill up to 10 civilians without prior approval from the U.S. Central Command, and U.S. officials made it clear to USA Today that U.S. airstrikes are killing more civilians as a result of the new rules. Under these new rules of engagement, the U.S. has constructed has conducted a major escalation of its bombing campaign against Mosul, an Iraqi city of about 1.5 million people, which has been occupied by Islamic State since 2014. Reports of hundreds of civilians uh, killed in U.S. airstrikes reveal some of the human costs of the U.S. air war and the new rules of engagement. Oof. Okay. Next. Washington civilian kill list in Afghanistan. Drone whistleblowers step out of the shadows. In Washington's drone wars, collateral damage comes home. And this is also from World Can't Wait. Uh, uh, Pratap uh, Chatterjee writes about recent films on the U.S. drone war, including National Bird. Sometimes I'm so sad that my heart wants to explode, an Afghan man says, speaking directly into the camera. When your body is intact, your mind is different. You are content. But the moment you are wounded, your soul gets damaged. When your leg is torn off and your gait slows, it also burdens your spirit. The speaker is an unarmed victim of a February 2010 drone strike in Uruzgan, Afghanistan, but he could just as easily be an Iraqi, a Pakistani, a Somali, or a Yemeni. He appears in National Bird, a haunting new documentary film by Sonia Kennebec about the unexpected and largely unrecorded devastation Washington's drone wars leave in their wake. In it, the audience hears directly from both drone personnel and their victims. National Bird features whistleblowers who have not been public before. When the president and his key officials look at the drone program, they undoubtedly don't see women and children. Instead, they are caught up in a Hollywood style vision of imminent danger from terrorists and the kind of salvation that a missile launched from thousands of miles away provides. It is undoubtedly thanks to just it is undoubtedly thanks to just this thought process already deeply embedded in the American way of war, not that a single candidate for president in 2016 has rejected the drone program. That is exactly what whistleblowers feel needs to change. I just want people to know that not everybody is a freaking terrorist and we need to just get that out of the mind. We, we need to just get out of that mindset. And we just need to see these people as people, families, communities, brothers, mothers, and sisters, because that's who they are, says Lisa, a former army nurse. Imagine that this was happening to us. Imagine if our children were walking outside of the door and it was a sunny day and they were afraid because they didn't know if today was the day that something would fall out of the sky and kill someone close to them. How would we feel? And they also have uh, one more. Who is still held at Guantanamo? Because that's still happening. 
<sighs> again, not sarcastic, but just angry, uh, because people wrote to ask who is still in Guantanamo. We are sharing Andy Worthington's list of up of the 80 prisoners still held, almost all of them without charges. Fuck. And you can check this out at closeguantanamo.org. Um, this is from uh, Deborah Sweet, who is the director of World Can't Wait. Man, oh, so that's really, I think there's a lot of folks who thought, oh, Obama's in office and now everything's going to change. And granted, there are things that were in the works before he took office. Um, however, there's a lot of us who are very much like, oh, as long as the system is still in place, a lot of these things are going to continue. And he'd said he was going to close Guantanamo and that hasn't happened. And now there's 80 people who are still there. And imagine if that was someone that you knew and someone that you loved and imagine if that was you even to be imprisoned without having any any say in in your your life and that goes back to the beginning of the program with talking about folks even sent to jail for for growing marijuana growing a beautiful plant that's medicine and uh the idea that folks can be sent to prison and kept there is just really gross and uh it would be nice if we lived in a world where that wasn't the case and we lived in the country i'd love to live in a country where like that wasn't there wasn't jails anywhere um but there are new kids, new babies being born all the time in this country, and they're being born into a country and into a world where prisons are still a thing and people are kept unjustly, and if we don't speak up about it, then we're part of the problem. I really do feel that way. So I'm going to... It's good to also read about the Middle East. We're running low on time. We'll get to Guantanamo, and we'll, we'll see how much we can fit in. Um, so the, if you go to the closeguantanamo.org page, uh, you can write, read more information. 779 prisoners have been held by the U.S. military at Guantanamo since the prison opened on January 11, 2002. Of those, 689 have been released or transferred. One was transferred to the U.S. to be tried, and nine have died, the most recent being Adnan Latif in September 2012. 80 men are still held, and 26 of these men have been recommended for release by high-level governmental review processes. To join the campaign for the prisoners' closure in 2016, see the countdown to close Guantanamo and the photos of celebrities and members of the public from around the world. 157 of the 779 prisoners have been released under President Obama, and although no prisoners were released for 15 months from January 2011, two Uyghur... Um, Uy uh, prisoners, Muslims from China's Xinjiang uh, province, were released in April 2012. Another man, Ibrahim Al-Khosi, was given a two-year sentence after a plea deal in January in July 2010, was released in July 2012, and in September 2012, Omar Khadr, a former child prisoner, was transferred to Canada to serve the rest of his sentence. He negotiated as part of a plea deal in October 2010. Oh, and so if you go to the list, you can uh, see there's just more and more people. Um, that is extremely depressing and upsetting, and it's it's still happening. And pretending it's not happening isn't going to change anything. So if you go to Close Guantanamo, if you care about this and want to take action or at least spread the word, um, go to closeguantanamo.org. Oh. This is the world that we live in, so we have to change it. We have to, we have to, we have to. I'll do a show plug. That's not a great transition at all, but uh, I should say and. Yes, and. Um, so tomorrow, there's going to be a show at the up in Fairfield that I will be uh, taking part in. 
and oh there's another thing I'm, okay I'll get to that afterwards after this this great show plug and this is going to be happening um, oh, there's so many great things I was going to share oh, I'll get to it I'm just finding all the information for the show tomorrow <coughs> excuse me so a lot of folks will be performing and um yeah, we're getting there. Did I post it? I thought I did. This is at the Solano um, Pride Center, and the show is happening tomorrow night, I believe at 7 p.m. A lot of folks are performing. Uh, Samson McCormick, Jesus You Better Work, Ash Fisher, uh, Jess Morgan, and myself, oh, here we go, are performing. This is at 7 p.m., and it's at the Solano Pride Center. You can check it out at solanopride.org, and the address is 1234 Empire Street in Fairfield, California. Fairfield known for the Jelly Belly Factory, which I am boycotting and have been boycotting for a while because the CEO said something transphobic or did something that was bad, and I'm like, no thanks. I can do without your jelly beans. Thank you very much. That's what I think about when I think about Fairfield. However, I'll be going to Fairfield tomorrow, so check out the show if you're up there, or if you feel like catching a good, good comedy show. I need to write some comedy. A lot of stuff I write is very political and sometimes not that funny, so I'm going to look for the humor in the tragedy, and we all know there's a lot of tragedy out there, so I'll look for the, the positives in that. So yeah, and the show is tomorrow at 7 p.m. at uh, Solano Pride uh, Center, and that's again at 1234 Empire Street in Fairfield. Now getting to the few things, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot. There's always a lot to share. Um, Amy Goodman uh, was talking about good things as always, and I was going to share... Um, uh, she was just talking about the lack of representation in the media and how even Bernie, who, you know, even if we're not 100% behind him, like, don't agree with 100% of what he says, even he's not getting the uh, equal attention, media attention that Trump and Hillary are getting, and that's super problematic. So let's listen to what Amy, let's listen to what Amy has to say, and then, here we go. Whether it's Fox or MSNBC or CNN, you often can't tell the difference. You're flipping from one channel to another, and they're all Trump all the time. It's Trump land. It's called, this is called How the Media is Ruining the Election. This I election. see the media as a huge kitchen table that stretches across the globe, that we all sit around and debate and discuss the most important issues of the day. War and peace, life and death, and anything less than that is a disservice to a democratic society. It is critical in an election year to hear how policies affect people on the ground, not to get the pundits, but to get the people themselves. They're bringing you the pundits, and this is true on all the networks, the pundits, who know so little about so much, explaining the world to us and getting it so wrong. The media manufactures consent for war, for candidates in elections, by bringing you more, for example, of one person, like Donald Trump. He is pumped into everyone's home. He can just stay in a gold-gilded mansion in New York or one of them in Florida. The rest of the candidates trudge from one state to another. Why does he get this unfiltered uh, pipeline 
into everyone's brain, into your eyes, into your consciousness. It matters. The Tyndall Center did a report in 2015. They looked at the whole year. They found Donald Trump got 23 times the coverage of, say, Bernie Sanders. They found ABC World News Tonight did something like 81 minutes on Donald Trump, and I think they gave Bernie Sanders 20 seconds. Bernie Sanders is breaking every record. It's the only reason he's getting any coverage right now. I mean, the media, he is shaming the media. In March, he raised something like $44 million. Hillary Clinton raised 29 and change million dollars. $44 million, that hasn't been done before. You break every record and there's a blip in the corporate media radar screen. It just shows how astounding it would be if he got anything near the coverage of the other candidates. Could you imagine where he would be right now? In this high-tech digital age, with high-definition television, digital radio, all we get is static. That veil of distortion and lies and misrepresentations and half-truths that obscure reality. When what we need the media to give us is the dictionary definition of static, criticism, opposition, unwanted interference. We need a media that covers power, not covers for power. We need a media that is the fourth estate, not for the state. And we need a media that covers the movements that create static and make history. And on that note, we're going to end up the show. There's another article that folks can check out. Maybe I'll get to it, maybe. Um, next week, it's, it's long and I want to give it its due attention. And this also comes from The Intercept. And it's a why a British fight over Israel and anti-Semitism matters to the rest of us. And that's written by Robert Mackey. And it came out today. So I definitely want to get to that. Because uh, there has been a lot of conflation. A lot of people who assume that because one is anti-Zionist, that means they are anti-Semitic. And that is not the case. And folks can very much be anti state and not be anti-Semitic. So that's a discussion that really needs to happen. So I want to read that story next week. Um, stay tuned. Next will be Global Val with Women's Magazine and uh, Mutiny Radio. Um, we're raising funds. Check out on the weekly review page. We have a, there's a fundraiser listed there as well as mutinyradio.fm, ways you can contribute. We also have spaces available, space available for rentals. If you want to do a show here, there's shows here every night of the week, um, every day of the week, uh, morning, Afternoon, evening, late night. Uh, There's a lot of good stuff happening, so come by in person and say hello. We're at 2781 21st Street, and give us a call anytime, 415-550-0511, and live streaming at mutinyradio.fm. So, on that note, I hope everyone has a pretty great weekend, and speak up against injustice um, as often as you can, and perhaps that will make a difference. And I'll leave some folks with uh, some prints again, and this is a really beautiful cover that usually, I, I like covers, but I'm also like, eh. um, this is uh, from PS22, um, the chorus kids from PS22, and uh, it's kids, kids are our future, so they say. So here's some really nice kids singing a nice cover of a Prince song. Uh, have a great week, everyone, and we'll be back next week.
Constitution and the First Amendment to the United States Constitution protect our rights to free expression. There are many questions we face when we decide to organize and speak out. Do we need a permit? Are there limitations? Or when or when can we not demonstrate? What about civil disobedience? For all of this information, please check out ACLUNC.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. stress, chronic brain, depression, nausea, and can induce euphoria and stimulate appetite? I'm gonna guess waffles. <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> Actually, Alex, the food I'm talking about are cannabis-based medicinal extracts. Cannabis-based medicinal extracts? That sounds like you're smoking drugs, Ed. No, baby. There are smokeless, safe, and less expensive alternative to smoking. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby. Good. Because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again. That it 
sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4altacalifornia.com. That's 4altacalifornia.com for a non-addictive pharmaceutical free alternative to smoking medical marijuana. Check them out today at number 4altacalifornia.com. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer ya. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> hey, you. Who, me? Yeah, you. You look like the kind of person who has a sense of humor. Oh, is, is the radio talking to me? No, I'm on an internet podcast. I'm talking to an internet podcast? Don't be silly. It's a one-way form of communication. But I don't want you to miss out on the Muni Radio Comedy Festival 2016 from March 2nd through 6th. And you don't have to. You can buy tickets now on universe.com with 24 national and international visiting comedians and 20 local hosts. You won't want to miss a thing. What if I can't be at every show? Don't worry. All shows will be available for free download at Mutiny
Hello, this is Azalia filling in with Roman, or for Roman this weekend. Um, I just wanted to start off with some Lauren Hill. And here you go, guys. Hope you're having a great weekend.
Okay, how many people in here have ever been in love? I know none of the guys gonna raise their hand, but how many of y'all ever been in love? If you want to get a hold of us, uh, you can reach us at, on Facebook at Unleash the Rain and on Twitter at Unleash the Rain. Or you can email me, Stacy, at UnleashTheRain.com uh, or my, my fine co host, Vincent. And you can um, email him at. Uh, Vincent at UnleashTheRain.com. I was, I know, but I know. I was going to tell you that those are my headsets that I gave you because I didn't know if you brought yours. So just so you know, those are mine. They're not great, so you I mean. So anyway, I, I, I was just, I, I was, he was, he was unplugging the headsets I plugged in for him. Um, it was really nice. Hot chick, and she bought me these for. Yes, I did buy you those for Christmas. I'm not a hot chick, but I don't, I don't know. God, that was you. That was me. When we started the radio show, remember? I thought it was Way Pam. back when. For some reason, I thought it was Pam. It was way back when we started the radio station. It was like almost a year and a half ago. Yes. I know. Then when we started the radio station, then we hired Pam. Yes. Yeah. What do you mean? We, hi we never hired Pam. Pam hired us. Pam, I was, I was, Pam trained us. <laughs> I got trained on the, on the new board, you know, too. You know, the new old board. Pam, as well as I do, if you had just not said anything, she would have believed it. Oh, okay. She can't remember that far back. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I didn't hit my thing. Um, and so if you ever want to come down and check out this space, uh, we're, we're here every Tuesday from 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific, so you can listen live. Um, or you can come down and visit us and bring us pie. And we're located at 2781 21st Street in the Mission in San Francisco, and that's Mission in Florida. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Unleash the Rain is really about um, helping organizations leverage technology to increase revenue and reduce expenses. And our goal is really to help people you know, free up their time uh, so that they can focus on their passion, whether their passion is inside their business or out. And um, what what did you what are you looking for? My gun. Okay. I forgot my gun. Okay, you don't carry a gun. I do. I have been for the last three shows. Why? You don't carry a gun. Stop it. You're uh, scaring me now. I had a ray gun. Okay. Oh. I could make the ray gun sound. Yes. I, so are you talking? To, so, so you have sound effects. This is great. Well, there's. Oh, geez. Okay, fine. Okay. Anyway. Uh, kidlet stole it. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Probably also I have a ray gun. Pam is Pam is awesome. Station manager. Yes, station manager. Twice. And she has a show on Friday nights that's from eight to eleven. Eight to ten. Eight to ten. Pam comedy showcase yeah. clubhouse. Yeah. It's a clubhouse. She recently she lost. And tonight, uh, tonight two ounces. you could Didn't you lose two ounces when you? Marijuana. No, no you yeah, chopped yeah. your finger off. <laughs> you chopped your finger off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. You're up. Yeah, you're up. Yeah, I, I uh, was making chicken last night here for joke workshop for the comedians, and no good good deed goes unpunished, and I chopped off the top of my finger. Oh, uh, poultry oh. shears. I just oh. snipped it right off. So, dude. Yeah, I was gonna go get stitches, but like, then it was right underneath. Like, I, I bite my nails, so I don't have any. If I would have, if I would have had nails, if I wouldn't have bitten my nails like a little neurotic freak, the, the scissors would have gone into the nail, and it wouldn't have been a big deal. But oh. because I don't have any nails, it just sliced like right in really deeply, and uh, and I decided not to get stitches because it's so close to where the nail is. I'm like, where are they gonna hook it in? Like, where are they gonna? How are they gonna stitch this? 
this. So I just they, have, they probably skin, they probably would have glued it. Oh, you yeah, skin glued I, it. I glued so it. So it's fine. Because I didn't want to go spend five hours in the ER. ER. Probably more with for that. And yeah. Right. And if I just I just put super glue on it. So cool. Did you actually use real super glue? Yeah. Just that's what super glue was invented for in World War II. Yeah. Is for. Um, right. Why do I go to CVS and pay three times as much for the fancy skin glue? Because it doesn't hurt as much. Oh. Because the. Um, Staples are the worst. Oh, God. They're cheaper. Yeah. Cool, cool, staple cool, cool, cool. Well, this was too small for staples, too. I mean, I have tiny fingers, but so just a little, uh, just a little crazy glue. It hurts like crazy, <laughs> <laughs> but then it's, um, and then everything's fine. It's got, I'm going to live. That's crazy. I'm not going to bleed out. Woo! Hey, but uh, tell them where you are tonight. Uh, actually, I'm babysitting tonight. Oh, you're not doing so brainwash? Oh, no, next, next Tuesday. Next, next Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah, next, Tell people next, next Tuesday, Tuesday you'll be at the Brainwash Cafe. Uh, it's I the host Mutiny Radio takeover. takeover of Brainwash. And so it's actually going to be a really fun showcase with, um, it's an open mic showcase sandwich. So it's open mic showcase, open mic. And it has uh, Clay Newman and Stephanie Silverman, two of my favorite comedians. And then someone else named Alex Davenport uh, all the way out of L.A. But whenever these L.A. kids come up, they always come contact me and I put them on shows. So. Well, that's nice. And Brainwash is located at 1122 Folsom Street in San Francisco. Yeah, 7th and Folsom. If you get there before 7 o'clock, uh, they have cheap beers. And so. good food. Yeah, yeah. Really, really good, good food. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. great salads and stuff. I, I never eat salads because I like I like fries and uh, burgers. Yeah, me too. But and laundry. And, and yeah, you can do your laundry. You, you can, can bring your laundry. laundry and you can listen to comedy. It's all in one kind and of And they'll have Wi-Fi. So, yeah. yeah. And, and and it's a, the Mutiny Radio Takeover. Yeah, and we come like on it. out, guys. Next week yeah thanks pam Woo! Woo, yay uh so, so yes no so we it's you know it, it's the last tuesday of the month it is the last tuesday of the month so our topic for today is the enlightened entrepreneur yes um which we're going to talk about uh as soon as we get to that part of the show so and that's the enlightened entrepreneur is really about how to take care of yourself so if you're running a business or starting a business or you're um, in management or you're even an employee really you're not really giving your best if you're not taking care of yourself and it's one of the th of the pillars i think of um good stewardship of your career and or your company and i personally am very enlightened recently lost losing 95 pounds yes you know in, i need in to lose weight uh-huh is that a reference to me if I lost you? Yeah. I tried to lose you. Yeah, I tried to lose you twice today. <laughs> I ditched you in the BART station, and there you were on the train. Yes. And then I ditched you at the cafe, and then here you showed up at the radio station. Yes. yes. Jeez. Kind of. So it's in like some you're ways following I'm me or something. Puppy. In other ways, I'm a puppy. You're a puppy. Yeah. Um, okay, so this week I'm well, very... We'll talk about that today, by the way. We will. We're going to yep. bring up an interesting in, uh, incident that happened today. Oh, you want to talk about that? I, I want to make okay. an example. Okay. Wow, you're going to be super vulnerable. That's awesome. I'm impressed. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I will try not to be too much of a bitch about it. How are you going to do that? Nice. So I'm super excited this week. Uh, tomorrow. Have a plan going in. Yeah, no. All right, anyway. Tomorrow. Uh, so before I get into the latest news, any news tidbits I want to bring up, uh, tomorrow I'm really excited. Um, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of this week, I'm going to Zoho, the corporate headquarters for Zoho. Not a good place to lose weight. Uh, not a bad place, actually, though. Mm -hmm. They actually have a lot of salads and vegetables. But anyway, can I, can I actually speak, or are you going to interrupt everything I say and talk about food? It's because we haven't eaten, and we're going to talk about that later. And that's, gonna be, that's why I'm bitchy. Yes. Um, anyway, I digress. 
so um, Zoho Corporation has several different products, right? One of them is Zoho CRM that we talk about. They have a lot of sales and marketing stuff. And they also have this product called Creator. Mm -hmm. And then they, for Creator, which is Creator's an app that lets you easily build applications and not have to know code. And the scripting language that they use is a scripting language they created called Deluge. Mm -hmm. And using Deluge and Creator, you can create all kinds of apps. So for And so they have a conference every year around uh, Creator, and it's called the Developer Conference, and it is April 27th, 28th, and 29th, and it's being held in Pleasanton, as I said. I'll go ahead and put the link to register on our website if people want to register. Um, uh, you can go for all three days. The first two days are a, a, a hands-on workshop where you're, we're actually going to, they're going to take people through how to create an actual application from scratch. And you can either sign up for a trial account of Creator or you can use a demo account that they're going to give people. Um, so that's 99 bucks for those two days and it's hands-on. Or you can sign up for the third day, which is basically the uh, an overview of, of Creator and the kinds of things you can do with it. So it's sort of like, here's how to do it and then here's what you what you can how you can make it fly um, so if you just want to come and get information about how you might want to use it um, I'm, I've invited some of my customers to come on the third day to just learn about creator um, so that if they want to build any custom apps of course I'm I'm a creator certified developer so um, I can build them for you or you can come Thank you, everybody. This is Azalia. I am subbing for Roman today. Um, I wanted to just play another awesome song by Ella Fitzgerald, and then we'll get right into the news. Um, this is Basin Street Blues. to meet us Oh, friends there to greet us Where all the proud and elite folks meet Heaven on earth they call it Basin Street Basin Street
Washington Street Blues Basin Street Uh-huh. So it's not, I don't think they have an app. I'm looking at it online right now. Um, so you can sell anything from your closet. Um, so I think trades is more shopping right. than trading. Although it started out trading. Right. But I think they had a hard time making money off of it trading. Yep. All right. Thank you guys for uh, listening in. I'm trying to figure this all out real quick. It's been a while since I've been on. Um, but I hope you guys are having a great week and that you'll enjoy your weekend. Um, I'd like to just start off with something that's pretty important to me. Um, tomorrow, um, there is a benefit. Um, it's called Ships in the Night. It's in Oakland at New Parish, which is a great venue. Um, Ships in the Night, it's a benefit for Jasmine Infinity and London Jade. Um, it's from 9 to 2 a.m. And um, it's a radical queer and trans dance party. So I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm hoping to go. I know quite a few people that'll be attending amazing beautiful people and if you can go because it helps amazing people that are going through things that should not have happened but such as life and the world we live in so hopefully we can all help benefit it um this month's benefit is for jasmine infinity london jade after fighting back against a transphobic attack so let's support our sisters with some cash for recovery because sadly medical is a thing that costs way too much fucking money 
All right, there's going to be two rooms with DJs spinning hip-hop and booty jams. Um, And London Jade is going to be performing for us at midnight. And she's a London-based rapper and model, um, which is pretty dope. Great scene there. Um, It's pretty accessible. There aren't very many stairs. Um, And please consider not wearing heavy scents. We love naturally stinky queers. That's totally cool. So if you guys don't know much about what has happened, it's pretty uh, stereotypical, (laughs) which is sad nonetheless. Um, But about a month ago, or a little last, June 13th, um, up and coming DJ Jasmine Infinity wants the world to know what happened to her and her friends on Saturday. Um, That is a Saturday before June 13th. Um, The 33-year-old trans woman of color had planned to spend Monday and Tuesday preparing for a first multi-country European tour. Instead, she's spending her third and fourth day in Manhattan's Bellevue Hospital preparing for a reconstructive surgery to fix her battered and broken jaw. My mouth will be wired shut, Infinity said as she gazed at the mirror in her flower bouquet adorned hospital room during a Monday afternoon phone interview. I have an extremely swollen face and lots of pain. I'm on a lot of medication, she added. New York police and Infinity say she and her younger transgender transgender protege, Florida rapper London J, 22, were brutally assaulted in Brooklyn's Bushwick neighborhood around 1.45 a.m. on Saturday by a group of up to 10 suspected Hispanic men and women who were outside of Bushwick Liquors at 459 Bushwick Avenue. Infinity says another friend, an anonymous 24-year-old trans woman, fled the scene unharmed. Thank goodness someone was okay. Um, God. No arrests have been made yet, but the incident is being investigated by the NYPD's hate crime task force, a department spokesperson said. The attack. The attackers were drinking what Infinity says smelled like vodka or tequila, which they sipped from clear plastic cups. For some reason, they took exception to Infinity and her crew walking by, minding their own business. Basically, they just started screaming transphobic slurs at us, calling us faggots and transformers, Infinity said. Then one of the men muttered something in Spanish that really set Infinity off. He said, para ti, for you, to one of his friends and laughed. Infinity recalled, I turned around and said, para quien? For whom? Like, who is my body for? Even more so, why is it a joke to you guys? Uh, why is it, uh, personally, when I, my quote, why is my body up to you? Mind your own business, it's my body. The argument escalated, um, but Infinity says she refused to back down. You go, girl. You better not back down. So, that's thank God for people like this. (laughs) In an act of defiance, she and her friends walked into the liquor store where they were refused service. That's nice. Apparently their money is different from other people's money. When they came back out, Infinity whipped out her smartphone and started taking pictures. Smart. Um, while I might not be able to get them from, for calling me, from calling me names, I decided to try to ruin their day the way they were ruining mine by taking pictures of them with open containers to give to the police. That's pretty smart. Thank you. Infinity said that's when one of the alleged attackers slapped the phone out of Infinity's hand and started punching her in the face. When Jade tried to defend her friend, a woman in the group sliced her leg with a box cutter. Soon, a crowd gathered to watch the the uh, the fight. People showed up on four-wheelers or whatever. Cars pulled up and one ran over my phone, Infinity recalled. Everybody was asking the girl what was going on. Her answer was, Transformers. <laughs> oh my god. 
Eventually, Jade was forced to flee the scene as well, leaving Infinity to fend for herself. When police and emergency crews finally arrived, Infinity says they didn't treat her and Jade much better. Oh, God. Of course. They were asking us about what we were wearing and if we were initially said anything to these people. Why the fuck does it matter what they were wearing or what they said? Violence is violence. Keep your fucking hands to yourself. That's something you teach everybody at a very young age that's one thing i do not tolerate i take care of kids i actually have my niece with me (laughs) and that's one thing i really hope she knows you keep your hands to yourself words are words words hurt pretty badly but you don't touch people unless they touch you first then you try to get them away and you run as fast as you can because you don't know what they have because these people obviously had box cutters i mean i'm i'm not saying that she was wrong for trying to fight for herself i'm so glad that she fought but i'm i'm really glad she lived to tell the story because you never know and that's that's what's scary about this day and age is that people will pull things out of nowhere and you just you don't know so please be careful you got to take care of each other travel in packs keep yourself safe um anyways so on to what the cops did to help the situation the cops were asking what they were wearing and if we initially said anything to these people because that matters infinity said i knew they were trying to insinuate we were sex workers or something oh police so for this year or so far this year the nypd has investigated 27 sexual orientation hate crimes according to a spokesperson there were 38 such incidents at this point last year the spokesperson said in an email at least 12 trans transgendered women have been killed by other people so far this year um mike previously reported um all of the alleged victims were transgendered women women of color yeah that's that's a thing and it sucks so much i'm so sorry this happens i just want people to know that it happens and that please be nice to each other (laughs) please treat others the way you'd like to be treated with respect and with lack of box cutters and and such uh it's god it's so sad that you have to say these things but this is what we have to tell people leave each other alone let people be it would be such a better world if we just let people be infinity says she knew one of the violence or knew of the violence against trans women of course but she doesn't regret standing up for herself even though she thought her attackers were going to kill her i totally know what she means i mean i've never been in that situation but i understand what it's like to just not care about your safety because you know what you're doing is right and that's i mean obviously we'd like to go down with honor and knowing we fought for something we believed in i took a stand and was prepared to martyr myself yes she said she was she uh she said as she as she wept if you're going to kill me just kill me i'm tired of living in fear of someone wanting me dead this is just not for me it's for the little jasmines out or that come before me for future trans people so they don't have to live with this yeah that's that's what happens so she was willing to put her life on the line for other trans people which is beautiful just it's devastating that this is happening in this day and age in such a liberal world we live in that people just existing have to be worried about having to martyr themselves because a a group of drunk people just didn't like their existence they were doing nothing to them they did nothing to provoke them even though that's what cops were hoping to insinuate what the fuck if they were sex workers it's not like they were throwing themselves at them and that's what they want you to believe that's what they i don't i don't get it they keep to themselves 
most people who go through this type of crap keep to themselves because they know what's out there. They know that it's not a safe world. Keep your head down, which is horrible. You should keep your head up. And that's what she did. She kept her head up. Her life was on the line. And now she's able to speak about it. And that that's amazing. <laughs> so if you guys are around tomorrow in Oakland at New Parish, Saturday, 9 to 2 a.m., it's only $5. Um, there is a benefit um, for Jasmine Infinity and London Jade, the two trans women that were attacked for existing. And they lived. So I would go if I were you. It's going to be amazing. Um, amazing people will be there. Um, yeah, please go. <laughs> There's so many other things going on. Um, but we'll talk about it right after this. Mask on, 
Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. Again, this is Zalia subbing for Roman. Um, I just wanted to talk about some things that are going on in the world. Sometimes people don't look it up themselves. They like to live in a bubble, but I don't like living in bubbles. They are clean, but we gotta pay attention. <laughs> So, I wanted to start off um, with an article I came across earlier um, from NPR, um, August, 4, uh, August 1st. Um, there's a U.S. citizen who was held by um, ICE for three years. Um, he was denied compensation by appeals court. It's really crazy, because most of these things we talk about, I hate it, but I'm just never surprised. Um, and sadly, most of the people that tune in usually feel the same way they're not surprised um and i really hope people don't get angry just get active um use that anger for good um there are times when i leave this uh the show just mad um because that's just what's going on in the world it's it's just it it just angers me so much i i feel just like there's not much you can do about it but there's so much you can do about it there are constantly rallies protests you can donate you can volunteer anything you do to help the situation is wonderful just talking to people is the best thing you can do and that's something that i feel a lot of people don't understand that they have the power to talk when you're in public and you're just on the train or the bus, start a conversation with somebody. Um, not too long ago, I was writing the Muni, and there was some micro-racism or microaggressions when it comes to race going on, um, and it was way too obvious, and nobody said anything until I said something. Um, one good thing, I mean, I'm, I have white privilege. I'm not white. I'm passing. Um, I also am a nanny. Um, so usually people don't really feel immediately defensive towards me. So if I want to speak up, um, I don't have crazy violence targeted at me immediately. Um, I have had violence targeted at me, but that's when I make my ideas known, which is devastating. The moment you start talking and making your ideas and views known, that's when people want to do things because obviously they don't agree with you. And that's what people do when they don't agree with you. They try to fight you. Well, not most. Hopefully there's a lot of people I know that will actually talk to you and try to understand your views, which is beautiful. Talk to each other. Try to understand each other's views, where you're coming from. You might learn a thing or two. But anyways, um, I was on the Muni not too long ago here in San Francisco, and um, uh, there was a black man sitting on the bus across from me. We were chit-chatting about the little boy I take care of. He's adorable. Um, and I always dress him in these adorable blue Doc Martens that are just adorable and cute because they're tiny Doc Martens. And I didn't even know they were that small or made that small. So people usually start chit-chatting with me about how cute his little Doc Martens are. So me and this older black man were talking about them. Then an Asian person comes on the, uh, onto the Muni and for some reason, I don't know what this person did, or they, they looked at the guy wrong and then kept, then went towards another seat instead of sitting next to him. He, that I suppose was a microaggression. Um, 
he should have said something, I suppose, if it bothered him that much. But instead of being positive or trying to, uh, you know, use this as a teaching experience or a learning letter, you know, just to, you know, teach the other person something, go, hey, you know, you could just sit down next to me. You don't need to look at me that way. I'm not going to hurt you. It's fine. Um, and obviously, I can't get mad at him for feeling this way, but, in, but he fought racism with racism. This black man started being extremely openly racist towards Asian people and talking about they came over here in crates and are taking jobs and I really wasn't understanding where he was coming from I tried to understand but he really just seemed angry um like he was just coming up with any reason to be racist towards Asian people this is San Francisco there was probably 10 Asian people on the bus nobody said anything and he was talking to me about this when I was with a little kid telling me how Asian people are racist towards black people, which I, I mean, everybody's, everybody's racist towards everybody. I mean, I don't, it, but it's, the thing is you need to fight it. Don't, don't boast about it. Don't make it concrete to help people try. I mean, I get it, but it just was so flabbergasting just how he was talking to me first about a kid's shoes and then went on to tell me how Asian people are racist towards black people and how they're taking jobs and whatnot and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I took this as a, you know, as a moment to try to help. And I said, you know, sir, you, you really, you know, the best way to go about this isn't by being racist towards someone being racist. You should like not do that. <laughs> that That's not how the world works. You don't fight evil with evil. You fight it with love. That's You need to be loving towards people. You kill them with kindness. It's hard. I get it. But this is one instance where you may have been able to make the world better. I, I get protests. We're angry, but we need to do it the right way. And you're not going to get respect by showing, by doing it this way, I guess. I totally get where he was coming from. It's a devastating world we live in. I'm sure he's been through a lot of shit. I'm sure the other person's been through a lot of shit. But the way to go about it, what if he had just smiled and, and gotten up himself and said, you know what, here, you sit down. Then that person's views may have totally changed. Um, but instead, he decided to just go on a rampage. And he was so angry. And I, I felt for him. But I killed him with kindness. Um, and after that, he got pretty quiet. And he wasn't mad at me. You know, for, you know, usually that's what happens when I talk to people about things they don't agree with. They get pretty angry. Um, but this guy, he listened because, like I said, um, I was with a child. Usually people don't want to fight you if you have a child with you because, thank goodness, most people agree that we need to keep the babies safe. But um, not a lot of people feel that way. Um, I've definitely been attacked with kids on the bus, which is really sad. So everybody be safe because you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> but anyways, fight evil with kindness and, and with real facts. <laughs> real facts. Do your research, people. Please do your research. Um, and anyway, so on NPR, um, rant over. Um, ICE held somebody for three years and denied them compensation. So I see why people are freaking angry. I get it. I'm angry too. And thank goodness I have this as an outlet. I haven't been doing it a lot lately, but it's amazing when I do do it. It helps me so much because there's so much going on in the world that we can't, we can't all do it all. But all we can do is love each other and talk to each other. 
So, um, in a botched investigation, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement kept Davino Watson, a U.S. citizen, imprisoned as a deportable alien for nearly three and a half years. Davino Watson told the immigration officers that he was a U.S. citizen. He told jail officials that he was a U.S. citizen. He told the judge. He repeated it again and again. There is no right to a court-appointed attorney in immigration court. So he he had no attorney. Watson, who was 23 and didn't have a high school diploma when he entered ICE custody, didn't have a lawyer of his own. So he hand wrote a letter to immigration officers attaching his father's naturalization certificate and kept repeating his status to anyone who would listen. Still, Immigration and Customs Enforcement kept Watson imprisoned as a deportable alien for nearly three and a half years. Then it released Watson, (laughs) who was from New York in rural Alabama with no money and no explanation. Deportation proceedings continued for another year. Watson was correct all along. He was a U.S. citizen. After he was released, he filed a complaint. Last year, a district judge in New York awarded him 82500 in damages, citing regrettable failures of the government. The system does not work. (laughs) That's what that means. (laughs) Um, apparently they could pay us out 80 grand and that'll make it all better. Um, even though people make like triple that in a year and that's yeah, a year. Yeah, that's cool. On Monday, an appeals court ruled that Watson now 32 is not eligible for any of that money. Oh, so they said he'd get money, but they didn't give him any money because while his case is disturbing, the statute of limitations actually expired while he was still in ICE custody without a lawyer. So his time ran out to get that money when he was still being detained by ICE. Is it just me or have we all taken crazy pills? Are you kidding me? This guy, so there, there was a way for him to get his money while he was detained despite the fact that he, I mean, he wasn't, he didn't have a, 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 you know, a higher education. He had no lawyer. He was talking to nobody. How the hell was he supposed to get his money if he ever had the chance to get his money? He wasn't able to. The system doesn't work, which is the reason they tried paying him out, but didn't pay him out. So, the second U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals acknowledged that the ruling is harsh, but said it was bound by precedent. There is no doubt that the government botched the investigation into Watson's assertion of citizenship, and that as as a result, a U.S. citizen was held for years in immigration detention and was nearly deported, the court ruled. Nonetheless, we must conclude that Watson is not entitled to damages from the government. Oh, my God. God, we think that the analysis of the law by the majority opinion is clearly wrong. Respectfully, says Watson's lawyer, Mark Flesner. Flesner is considering a number of possible next steps, including an appeal to the Supreme Court. Please go to the Supreme Court, please. Watson is now living in Brooklyn and has finished his GED certificate, Flesner says. A legal disaster. The details of the case are arcane. As U.S. District Judge Jack Weinstein put it in his decision last year, Watson was born in Jamaica and moved in with his dad in in the U.S. as a teenager. He was 17 when his father was naturalized in in 2002, so he became a U.S. citizen on that day, too. In 2007, Watson pleaded guilty to selling cocaine. When his sentence ended in May 2008, he was arrested by ICE officers. Watson had already told them he was a citizen and given them his father and stepmother's name and a phone number to call to confirm. 
ICE officers didn't call the number. They did attempt to look up his father, Hopton Ulanda Watson, but they confused him with Hopton Livingston Watson. Hopton Livingston Watson, the wrong Hopton Watson, was not a U.S. citizen. He also lived in Connecticut instead of New York. He didn't have a son named Davino and arrived in the U.S. at a different time. But the officers apparently didn't notice the mistakes. Based on the wrong file, they concluded that Watson was not a citizen and marked him for deportation. Wow. So this... Oh my God. A years-long ordeal followed as Davina Watson, while detained, tried to fight his deportation in a complex case involving both U.S. and Jamaican laws. What's crazy is that this entire time, this guy could have been working and helping society, benefiting the government that destroyed him. But instead, the government decided to just detain him, kill his spirit, and deny him anything he deserved because they failed what if you mess up you got to pay the consequences he did nothing wrong except exist which apparently is a an issue these days you know black lives don't matter right oh my god that was a joke by the way that's fucking ridiculous the whole legal disaster could have been avoided if watson had an attorney at the outset which tells you that money does buy a lot of fucking things, including freedom. Right. Um, so it could have been avoided if he had an attorney, which I don't know if you guys know, costs a lot of fucking money, especially if you don't have a job because you're being detained by ICE. And especially if the cops keep calling the wrong person and expecting them to be related or to help you. So whose fault is that? Hmm. Anyways, um, with a lawyer, plaintiff probably promptly would have been declared a citizen and released almost immediately after he was arrested. If he were arrested at all, he said. So if he were rich to begin with, this never would have happened. I mean, I think we all know that. (laughs) Then after his arrest, the government investigation into his status was marked by mindless failure, carelessness, and easy, avoidable error, Weinstein said. ICE did not follow their own procedures of what to do when a detained immigrant makes a claim of U.S. citizenship. Fleissner said... Or the lawyer now working on Watson's case tells NPR it was crystal clear from the beginning. Had DHS done its homework properly, that he had been a U.S. citizen since 2002. Plaintiff was badly treated by government employees. Weinstein, the district judge, wrote last year he deserves a letter of apology and a shit ton of money, personally, um, in addition to damages. But the court is not empowered to order this courtesy. Okay, they're not allowed to do that, but they're allowed to keep human beings detained for three, almost four years? That just sounds preposterous. Ah... The Court of Appeals doesn't dispute any of those facts. They know what happened. They're just not going to help. They're just not gonna, they're just not going to, you know, I hate the term man up. They're not going to put their money where their mouth is, which should be in that guy's pocket. <laughs> Um, that meant uh, his false imprisonment started ticking when Watson first went before a judge, the majority said. That meant it expired while he was still in ICE custody without a lawyer. The district court judge had ruled that his case merited an exception. As Courthouse News reports, Weinstein had agreed to apply the principle of equitable tolling to stop the clock, blaming Watson's lack of legal counsel and education for lawsuits untimeliness. Yeah, he had no fucking lawyer. He has no idea what's going on. He just knows he's a citizen and shouldn't be there. Give 
him a fucking lawyer for five minutes. That's all he needed. Equitable tolling is a rare remedy to be applied in unusual circumstances. I don't even really know what it means. I could kind of guess, but I'm sure this guy who didn't even have a high school diploma had no idea what it meant. Um, it's not a cure for all in an entirely common state of affairs. The majority wrote in a dissent, U.S. Circuit Judge Robert Katzman skewered, uh, skewered his colleagues' reasoning. I would hope that nothing about Watson's 1,273-day detention can be said to have an entirely common state of affairs, he wrote. If it were, we should all be deeply troubled. This is a very long article, and I pressure you to read it, or just know that this is the world we live in. U.S. citizens can be detained for almost four years without a lawyer, and then be denied all the money they deserve for those four years, because time ran out because the the legal system failed in so many ways i mean it always fails <laughs> it's i laugh so much when talking about this crap because it's just, i i could cry but then you guys wouldn't be able to understand me i i just it makes me want to cry that this is the world we live in and that kids are being raised to think that we're supposed to trust these authority figures these people that are supposedly here to help us and this is what they do. You don't don't just trust people based on their title, ever. Trust them on their character. <laughs> trust them on who they are. Um, stay out of trouble, <laughs> which is hilarious because that's not possible if you're brown or black or just look different. Um, it's, it's terrifying. Um, but anyways, I am so happy i got to talk to you guys about a little bit um of crap that's going on in the world um hopefully you guys have a great night or a great day um and thank you so much for listening um this is azalia subbing for roman on the weekly review and take care guys <laughs>